welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Okay, I have uh, the distinct pleasure of introducing um, Scott Schaefer, who's going to be delivering our message today. Scott, this is just a clappy audience today. This is awesome. Um, Scott and his family have been at Oak Hills for nine years, and Scott currently serves on our elder board. Uh, his lovely wife, Renee, is one of the spiritual directors here at Oak Hills Church. Take it away. Thanks, man. Good morning, everybody. Before we get started, I have a question for you. Um, I want you to close your eyes for a second. And what I want you to do is check in with yourself on how you're arriving this morning. Check in on where you're at and just whisper a simple prayer to God. Lord, I'm checking in expectant. Lord, I'm checking in distracted. Or God, I'm I'm checking in excited or irritated, exhausted, whatever it is. Now, in that place, hear the words of the psalmist. God, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. He knows exactly where you are. Amen. Amen. So, hey, everybody, it's a pleasure to be in front of you because you're my family. <laughs> I care about you. Mike, uh, in, in the summer, at least the last two summers, has done a series or had, had you know, others in the church do a series. This summer, it's what's on your mind. Last summer, it was what is churning. So he's got a theme going there, but he asked us to share what's on your mind. And the title of my message is Leaving and Arriving. Because one thing that I've been thinking about is people leaving our church. Now, I'll explain that, and as you'll see, this talk is much more about arriving at our church. But that's what we'll talk about today. So, would you join me in prayer as I ask God to bless this? God, in your wisdom, you've made us, your church, fundamental in how you expand your kingdom. How you build your people, and how the new earth will be formed. God, why are we so honored? And why are you so wonderful? As we talk this morning, Lord, about being your church, I ask that you would open our eyes to what you have for us. I ask that you would use my words for your purposes and that you would not let me get in your way. For anything said here today will have value only to the extent that it aligns with your word and your beautiful reality pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we've all experienced, COVID has changed a a bunch. COVID has changed a bunch. bunch. It's changed every system, every relationship. I'm not going to belabor that because we've just been living it and we've been talking about it. At the same time, very conveniently, there's been quite a bit of political turmoil. So the politics of our nation have shifted in ways that disturb almost all of us, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum. So one of the effects of all of this disquiet over the last year or so has been that some people have left our church. Now, none of this is unique to Oak Hills, but we've seen people leave because we're too cautious about COVID. We've seen people leave because we're not cautious enough about COVID. We've seen people leave because we don't put the right emphasis 
on the political situation, particularly the emphasis that they would prefer. We've seen people leave because we don't have the right ministries, and on and on and on. And except for the effects of COVID, none of this is new uh, in church life. And I've long thought about why people join a church or attend a church or leave a church, and that includes me. I've joined churches, I've attended churches, I've invested heavily in churches, and I've left a few churches. So that has been what's on my mind. So I want to propose to you that there are three kinds of people in church, three kinds of churchgoers. There's the followers, there's the consumers, and there's the people who wonder. So one at a time. The followers are those who are following Jesus because he is Lord. Not because he was a good guy. Not because he was the greatest teacher, though he is. Not because he was the apex philosopher in the history of the earth, though he is. But because he is Lord. He is king. He is master of the universe. In short, he is in charge. He also happens to be so very good, so very kind, so surprisingly delightful in all of his ways with us. All of this is is just stupid great. It's blessed, but at the foundation of it all, the why of why we follow Jesus is because he has all authority and all power. Jesus is Lord. So that's the follower. The consumers come to church to access the religious goods on offer. And I'll go into that in a little bit of detail, but as I said before, I've been that person, sometimes I am that person, Being a consumer is our natural inclination. So we'll talk about consumers. Then thirdly are the people who wonder, and they're wondering about one of two things. They're either wondering about Jesus because they've heard something about him and they want to know more and explore that, which is amazing and awesome. Or they're wondering how they got here at all. They got dragged here by somebody else. And if that's you, God bless you, especially my friend, because we've all been in that in that position. If that's you, we have a special gift for you at the coffee bar, a free croissant for anybody who got dragged here. Just just explain it. So as I said, I have been all three of these people in my in my life. My objective now is to be a follower of Jesus. But in fact, I still sometimes show up as the consumer. So being a consumer is our natural state because we live in a culture that is driven by consumption. Everyone is formed by the culture they grew up in and by the culture that they are living in. And our Western culture is highly consumeristic. It is the ocean we all swim in, and that is not going to change. I think that this is actually pretty easy to demonstrate, so I want you to do something. You know, kind of back of the envelope, think about... Um, How much time, how much of your life that you spend on acquisition, that is, on shopping for products or services or experiences? Forget the money. Just think about how much time do you spend in stores, on the way to stores, coming home from stores, shopping online, browsing retail sites, watching media that focuses on shopping? Just by, I think it was a God thing, but when I was eating breakfast, I happened to pick up an HGTV magazine, which is, if it's HGTV, it's about shopping. Um, watching media, planning shopping, talking about shopping. This is a lot of time for, for virtually all of us. We spend a lot of time on this. 
The last time I bought a car, I, I spent a fair amount of time figuring out, hey, which car do I get? And then once I decided, just before I bought it, I decided to just kind of look back. How much time did I actually spend on this thing? And I kind of added it up. It was about 40 hours. 40 hours of my life to figure out what car, what options, what color. You know, that's a lot of life. And that's, that doesn't even include going to the dealership. Now, to be fair, going to the dealership is not shopping. That's a, that's a field trip to hell. So that's a different, different issue, right? And that's a cheap shot because I have actually had very good experiences at car dealerships. But why would I do that? Why would I spend so much time on a car? It's because in some way, on some level, I believe that my well-being, that is my ability to live a good life, is in some way dependent on that car or those shoes or that appliance or that vacation. We do this all the time because consumerism is the fabric of the culture that we live in. We have been trained to do it. It didn't happen by accident. And this is not the entire description of the world we live in, but it is fundamental to that world. And material things are not bad. We just often misuse them and put them in the place essentially of an idol, of things that will ensure that we have a good life. So this consumerism has formed us. So if we are so formed... It makes sense that when we come into church, we might have a strong tendency to bring our consumeristic approaches and practices with us when we arrive at church. Now, I do this quite naturally. In my head, I think, I want to follow Jesus. That's why I'm here. But below the surface of that thought, my heart believes that I know what's good for me. What I want is paramount to my well-being. I also often think I know what's good for you. I've got great ideas. So when I come to church, I'm asking if what they have aligns with what I want or think should happen. That's what it's like to come to church as a consumer. Now, if you decide to follow Jesus, your expectations, your attitudes, your assumptions, and your practices are all going to, over time, look very different. You will be transformed. That's how spiritual formation works. That's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus calls us into a different kingdom and into a different family. This is a different world, and it has a different culture. In the consumer culture, people, including you and me, ask what will promote my well-being, what will meet my needs, what aligns with what I want. All of those questions are about me and what I think. In the culture of the kingdom of God, people ask a different question. And basically, the question is this. What does God want? Now, this question can take a number of forms, but each of these forms are equivalent. They're the same question. They all revolve around God's character. They revolve around who God is. Questions like, what does love demand? What does justice demand? What is true? What has eternal value? What is real? You see, the key questions in this culture, the kingdom culture, are about who God is, period. Because from his character... Who he is comes everything that's been created, every good, every mercy, every reconciliation, every healing, and over all of it, rescue from the disaster that we call sin. I have a side note for you. 
if you struggle to understand God's character, that's a place where you don't know what that means. I want to invite you to have a conversation with me. Grab me after the service. Let's have a conversation. The supreme question is, who is God and what does he want? Now, that's the right question because it's aligned with reality. It's a great question and a wonderful question because that God is faithful to secure our well-being and to guide us. So let's look for a minute at how it goes wrong, and then we'll look for a minute at how we can get it right. Um, In our legacy from the consumer culture, there are a couple things that typically go wrong. First of all, we show up as consumers. I talked about that. Show up with a focus on what's in it for me. That's natural. But then we don't change. We're not transformed into something else. And I'm not complaining that this is selfish. I'm saying this is tragic. This is so sad. The tragedy is that it ignores God's incredible, gorgeous reality, which we'll discuss in a minute. If this is where you are, you're getting ripped off, period. Your enemy is keeping you from the fantastic transformation and adventures that God wants for you. And the second way it goes wrong is if we see our salvation as strictly a personal and private issue. It's me and Jesus, and I'm really good with that because I'm really comfortable with me, right? It's just me and Jesus. If someone tells you Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which, by the way, for people of my generation, that's how a lot of us first heard the gospel. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Those are two mighty, mighty truths, but they are such a small percentage of what God has told us about himself and about this world, and about our place in it, it's so incomplete that in practical terms, it's just plain misleading. It just takes you to the wrong place. If you don't understand the body of Christ, if you don't understand that God is redeeming a people, and if you don't understand your dependence on those people, you will not be transformed. You will certainly be spiritually stunted. The kingdom of God is offered to you but it it does not revolve around you. As humans, we each have individual agency and significant power, and that is an amazing and good thing. We are built to co-create with God, but we are agents in a communal universe. So much of what Christ commands in the New Testament is communal, things that we can experience only together and can do only together. And if that's not the experience you're having, that's where I'm saying you're getting ripped off. By God's beautiful design, we will be dependent on God and interdependent on each other forever. So for me, I'm sitting in the pew, I'm doing church, maybe I'm doing Bible study, maybe I'm in my small group, I'm doing my thing in a ministry setting, ministry team setting, and something goes wrong, you know, something seems off, I'm dissatisfied about something, So a lot of times that happens and I start to think like this. It's like, you know, just not getting the worship experience I really want. Or, you know, the the children's ministry is just not really meeting the needs of my family. Or, you know, maybe maybe the band was having an off day or or maybe this just isn't my, my kind of music. I don't know. Or I don't think we have the right outreach ministries. I don't think we're trying. And especially, you know, 
the social connections that I want, really, you know, with people like me, it's not, it's not happening. So in my list there, some of those things are very important. And Oak Hills Church expends a significant amount of energy to do those things with excellence in order to build God's kingdom. But some of those things have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. In every case, though, the approach for the consumer is what's in it for me? How does this comport with what I want? Rather than the question that is aligned with reality, which is, what is God doing to us and through us? So, okay, then how can this go right? How do we avoid this and become the people that Jesus wants us to be? I have three suggestions for you. First is get smart about the body of Christ. No rocket science here. Become familiar with what the New Testament says about the body of Christ. The church was created by Jesus and is his body on this earth and will be his body on the new earth. What we're doing now, today, we're going to be doing forever. Body is a metaphor for our relationship to Jesus. But it's his metaphor. It's not a guess. It's not the best thing we could come up with. It's the metaphor he has used in scripture. It's the best way to describe life in the kingdom of God, which is as a body. If we don't, so if we think we have a relationship with Jesus, but we have no practical knowledge about what he means by the body of Christ, then we have no experiential knowledge about how that operates. And then we are really only acquainted with Jesus, and we don't know much about him at all, because we have ignored much of what he has told us in the New Testament. If we think that the body of Christ is simply the collection of people who profess a fondness for Jesus, then we don't know Jesus. So I want to go to our scripture reading. Um, This is from Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, that's you and me, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Skipping down to that last verse, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. So here, God, through Paul, is giving us not a taxonomy, not a set of categories, but he's describing an organism. So think about your body as you sit there. Think about your muscles and your blood. Your muscles and your blood are designed to work together. And without each other, they're not only not able to fulfill their purpose, but if you separate them, they both cease to exist. This is how God has arranged you and me in Christ's body. This is reality. And next to God himself, the body of Christ is the most amazing thing in the universe. Now, second, within this family, you should expect for other people to be quite different from you to have different sensibilities, different priorities, different thoughts on what is best and what should be next. And how we work through that stuff, I'll talk about in a second. 
But if you're hanging out only with people that ring your bell, that share your interests, then you're not hanging out with the body of Christ. That's not who God has selected. So third and most exciting is the way that the Holy Spirit guides you and me is together. Beyond his guidance in Scripture, which is foundational always, the way that the Holy Spirit speaks to you individually regarding the issues in your life and the way that he speaks to us in the particulars of our life together in Folsom, the way he speaks to us is through each other. Now, there's nothing mysterious about that and everything exciting about that, and it is a longer story for another day. But I'll say this. Interacting with God together is like having a set of counselors or advisors right next to you working with you. It's like being on a remarkable team. Or it's, like, it's actually like having multiple brains. When God speaks through the words of another person, you know it. Now, this does happen to most of us some of the time. Typically, you'll be with a friend over coffee, a beer, whatever, talking about an issue. And the friend will say something and you realize, you know what? God just spoke to me. God just pointed something out to me that I was not going to think up on my own and changes what I think about the issue in front of me. We've all had that happen. But in prayer together as a group, where God is at the table with the group, it's like that, but it's on steroids. And when you get a taste of that, you're like, I am not going back. I do not plan to go forward without access to this. Now, if you're not familiar with how this works, if you're not experiencing this already, we will have a Sunday school offering this fall that focuses on exactly that, how to interact together with the Holy Spirit in groups. If you would like to see that in action sooner, we do it regularly. So every other Wednesday, second and fourth Wednesdays of the month, we have a prayer meeting. One of my favorite quotes ever is from Daniel Henderson. He said, nobody wants to come to your prayer meeting because they've been to one. That's spoke truth to me. We have a prayer meeting where it's not like that, um, but you can see this happening. It's on Zoom right now because of COVID, so it's very easy. The links and the, the dates and the times are on the church website. I ask you to join us. That I think you will be interested in, and like what you see. But this fall, as I said, we're going to have an experiential and fun way to spend a few weeks exploring that together. So when you have an understanding of, of the body of Christ and you still want to follow Jesus, now you can ask the right and effective questions when things don't go the way you think they should in church, instead of asking, how does this compare with what I want? You'll ask very powerful questions like, how does this relate to what God is doing through us? What is getting in the way of me fully engaging with others? Am I listening to the Holy Spirit? And by the way, how do I do that? What's the impact on the body of Christ if I bolt? What's the impact if I pout? What's the impact if I complain? What fruit of the Spirit am I displaying in this situation? If you can't check a box, there's no fruit. Is it love, peace, forbearance, kindness? And finally, and one that I'll talk about in a little bit of detail, what does mutual submission look like in this area, and who am I mutually submitting with? 
So I think this is a great litmus test. Who am I submitting to? Now, in Scripture, there's only one verse, actually, that uses the term mutual submission, depending on your, on your, your translation. It's in Ephesians 3, and the NIV says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I always thought what that meant was, be nice to each other. Skipped right over it. It's like, okay, I like being nice. Until it was pointed out to me, that the continual New Testament pattern of instruction about how we are to interact with each other consists of forms of mutual submission. So, for example, agreeing together in prayer, as Jesus explained, practicing humility like Christ practiced humility, as Paul explains in Philippians 2, being patient and letting your gentleness be evident to all, in Philippians 4. There's multiple passages about how we grow up together into wisdom and knowledge. And in the earlier part of Romans 12, not what we read this morning, Paul talks about inflating your own importance. To not, He talks about not inflating your own importance, but considering your gifts and your role in the body. So mutual submission, this isn't about where am I letting someone else run my life? Not at all. It's about where am I letting God direct my life by releasing control and seeking the way forward with others. And really, mutual submission is at the heart of what we're talking about today. So here's how you can tell if you're doing this. Some things God makes super easy. Here it is. If you can't think of any examples where you're submitting to others, you're not doing it. It's that simple. It's that easy to figure out. So in conclusion, I said this message was about leaving and arriving. And I talked a little bit about the leaving part. I went over some of the reasons people who are showing up as consumers decide to leave. But there are solid reasons to leave a church that don't involve acting like an unhappy consumer. Now, they are rare. One of them is if God calls you to another place. Obviously, you're going to shift churches. The other one is if you determine that the church you're in is not aligned with a major theological issue, something that God cares about as a primary issue, and that the boat is pointed in the wrong direction, really in the wrong direction, and you don't believe anybody on the boat has any interest in correcting course, then you should get off the boat. But note this. Leaving a church when you do, should feel like a divorce. A rending of a fundamental relationship. It would be the severing of deep bonds that inflicts damage to both parties. That's a good way to examine where you are in your church right now. To ask yourself, if I were to leave, how would it affect me? How would it affect the church? If your leaving does not feel like a divorce, then you never actually showed up to the church as the body of Christ. If you've not engaged in such a way that bonds were formed that are very painful to break, then you were there as a consumer only. I have one other piece of advice for you. My youngest child will leave for college next month. So Renee and I are right on the edge of the empty nest. And I got the idea in my head of writing down some key words of wisdom for her and giving it to her as a letter, a list of some key items of advice on how to go forward 
and giving that to her as she departs my house. Now, I'm a little hesitant because part of me thinks that's goofy. Part of me thinks that, yeah, that's kind of an old guy thing to do. But on the other hand, I've seen some stuff. I've made some fairly large mistakes. I've seen some healing, and I've received some glory. So I don't know if this letter will actually happen, but I feel a desire to let her know some things that, are, that she should be on the lookout for. There's one piece of advice I will go give her, um, and I've just recently realized how powerful this piece of advice is, and so I give it to you now. No matter what challenge or question or situation or opportunity you face in any arena, there exists people in the world who both can help you and would desire to help you if they knew that you wanted to be helped in any situation. The trick is to find them, but they absolutely are there somewhere. And the way you find them is by asking around. So if any of this has piqued your interest or raised a concern or caused you to wonder, then, I, then ask someone about it. Ask one of your staff. Ask one of your elders. Ask your small group. Ask a trusted brother and sister. My life in the body is a key part of how God chooses to create goodness in the world, not just to us and not just to some others near us, but good to the entire world to come. So praise him for, that, for the glory of his body, and if you haven't, step into it. And because you guys are my family and I love you, it's a really serious pleasure to be able to give you a benediction. So may you go from here in the peace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may these words of the psalmist be in your ears. God is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Thanks, guys, for coming. Have a great Sunday.